Good morning, everyone. It's just good to worship the Lord, isn't it? That was good this morning. Thanks, you guys. Um, if I've not met you, my name's Dan Knust. I am not the senior pastor here at the church. I'm the high school pastor. I think I've met most of you for watching online. Um, I'm going in, to in, uh, encourage you like Tanner did last week. Come back next week. Pastor Dan, Lord willing, will be back at the pulpit next week preaching and bringing God's word as well. So just wanted to take a minute and introduce myself, say welcome to church. Glad you've joined the family this morning. Um, first off, uh, the most important thing I want to do this morning on behalf of myself and Pastor Dan we received a very gracious gift from our congregation this last Christmas season. Uh, you guys gave and gave and gave and gave abundantly to Pastor Dan and I and to Tanner as well. So the three of us would like to say thank you very much from the bottom of our hearts. I've never served another congregation other than this one, but I would have to guess that you guys are the best. Pastor Dan is always saying that, always reminding us of that, and I believe that with all my heart. So thank you very much for the gracious gift this morning or that you've given given to us this Christmas season. We are, you know, eternally grateful for it. And I think you guys won't know until you get to heaven just how grateful the three of us, Pastor Dan, myself, and Pastor Tanner, how's that? We, we are very grateful that you um, take care of us the way you do, that you pray for us the way you do. And also, I want to thank you because I know you've been doing this praying for our pastor as well in regards to the loss of his sister um, that happened on Christmas Eve day. Um, Pastor Dan's not here today. He's taken the day and and stayed at home with Liz. I'm not sure what their plans are as far as going or not going, when the services or any of that. I don't know about that, but I would ask you to continue to pray for them, just to lift them up to the throne of grace boldly, as the scripture tells us to do. Um, so we're grateful for that as well. So thank you very much, and Happy New Year. It's finally 2021. Amen? Amen? Goodbye. See you later. The only thing I didn't like about saying goodbye to 2020, you know what it was? All the explosions that were going on around my neighborhood. I don't know what they were blowing up. Apparently, they got permission, people in our community did, to shoot off fireworks this, this New Year's Eve to blast out 2020, I guess. Our neighborhood did a very good job at that. I don't know. They must have been blowing up stuff that was about that big around. It was noisy, and it was late, and it went on until after midnight, so a lot of celebration. But Tanner did a great job last week of bringing in the New Year, saying goodbye to 2020 and bringing in 2021. And this morning, I want to kind of stay with that theme that he talked about, which I'll mention in a minute. But um, just again, thanks for everything you do. Happy New Year. Glad you're here this morning. So let's get into God's Word. Rachel and I watched a television show, and we watched it last night, and I was reminded of this, and I wasn't going to bring this up this morning until we sat down late last night, and many of you may have watched this, and some of you may not have. It's called I Can See Your Voice. I don't know if anybody's ever noticed that show. It's a brand new show on television. It's a great show. It's kind of a, it's a, it's a type of a show where these people show up, and the contestant who's trying to win the money has to decide whether these guys are good singers or bad singers, whether they're real singers or not real singers. And it's just, I don't know how these people do it, but in this show, they just stay stoic. And they don't even, there's no, the, the people that are supposed to be singing, there's no emotion from them at all. But eventually in the show, the, the person, the contestant has to decide, is that person a good singer or a bad singer? And of course, money weighs in the balance for all that. But that idea struck me last night as I'm going to lean into what we're going to talk about this morning. That, that idea of, I can see your voice. I want to lay this at your feet this morning because God laid it on my heart last night. I can see your faith. I can see your faith. And that's what I want to talk about this morning because as I lean into this, I want you to hang on to that idea as we talk about this this morning. Tanner did a, a really, really good job last week on a very, very hard topic of legalism. He brought a lot of truth from God's word, did a great job in delivering the message, and it was easy to understand what legalism is. 
So I want to kind of lean into this a little bit more this morning, though, because I think as Christians, we get mixed up in this. We are saved by grace, which I'll talk about in a minute. It is not by our works that no man shall boast. Legalism is something we have to be very careful of, but there are things to do as Christians, are there not? There's things we're supposed to be doing and not doing as Christians. And as Tanner shared this last week and he shared about legalism, he and I talked just briefly about this earlier this week, and I want to tag on and extend that thought that he brought to us with what do we do with this? Because there's one thing that stood out to me, the scripture that really kind of landed on me last week was out of Ephesians 5, 6, the latter part of that, or Galatians 5, 6, the latter part of that was, the only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. And I thought, okay, I'm a, I must be a doer because I always look at things like, okay, I believe that, but how do I live that out? And if you don't remember anything else today, I would encourage you to remember this. If you're doing what you're doing in light of what's been done, it won't be legalism. I want to make sure I'm very clear on that. If you're doing in life what you're doing or not doing in regards to what's been done, it will never turn into legalism because we're always doing what we're doing in, in light of the cross, in light of salvation, in light of what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has done for us. And I beat this constantly into high school kids' heads. And if a high school student's in the room this morning, they will say, I've heard this a thousand times. We need to do things, but we don't do them to earn anything. We do it to bring glory to God. I heard a, there's a gentleman in the back of the room, and I won't say his name, but he told me this way one time. He says, we get to do this. Do you realize that? That we get to do what we do as Christians. We don't have to do this. Okay, we have to do it because the Lord commands us to. But we get to. We get to do this stuff that we get to do. So this morning what I want to do is I want to take that idea of doing what we do in light of what's been done, and I want you to turn in the book of James is where I want to go this morning. So if you have a Bible, there's probably a Bible in the seat back in front of you. You got your phone, tablet, Bible, whatever that is. Open up to the book of James chapter 1. I want to give you a little background on James first before we do this. I want to give you a background. James was written about 49 or 50 A.D., tradition or history would show us. That's right before the council that happened where they talked about, Tanner touched on last week, with circumcision and everything else. So this is before that council took place, okay? But that does not change what James is teaching. The theme of this book really is spiritual maturity. And as we lean into 2021 and as we go forward, my wife and I talked a little bit about this. In my mind, nothing really changed other than we put another date on the calendar, in my mind, it's still we're just living in light of the cross. We're doing what we're doing in light of what's been done. And we continue to do this stuff. But this book really shows us the idea of what spiritual maturity looks like and what it doesn't look like. So we got to make sure as we read the book of James, it's a very practical book. Some, some background on James is this. Many of you know he was a half-brother of Jesus. And I always find this intriguing that he didn't believe in that Jesus was the Savior until after the resurrection when Jesus appeared to him. Can you imagine what holidays had to be like around their house? How'd you like to be James? Really? J Jesus is the older brother. And James is like, whatever, dude. And Jesus is walking around teaching, preaching, sharing truth, healing people. And James is like, I don't know what's going on, but I don't believe it. You're not who you think you are, and you're not who you say you are for sure. So until after the resurrection happened, James actually bought into this idea of Jesus Christ was our Messiah. He was the Savior. He eventually became the leader of the Jerusalem church. A lot of people see, I really, when I, I remember first learning this, and I thought, that's weird, because I thought Peter was. 
But really, as you look at what happened at the council in Acts 15, and you look at all the history there, James has actually became the leader of the, of the early church. So James did that. Paul referred to James in Galatians 2.9. He referred to James as a pillar. A lot of people, when you study theologians and doctrine and you read different commentaries, a lot of people will try to give this idea that James and Paul were at odds. Because Paul was saved by grace. It's, it's a free gift of God. No man shall boast that way. James was about, show me your faith and I'll show you my deeds. Faith without deeds, is, faith without works is dead. So a lot of people would say James was more about the, the legalism side of it, the doing, and Paul was more about the grace side. That's not true at all. Paul and James were not at odds, and I got Ephesians 2.10 tells us this. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 share that idea of God's grace is a free gift of God. That, that salvation is free for us. It's not by what we do or what we don't do. We are saved by grace. But Paul also goes on to write this in Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So we are saved by grace, but we are saved by grace to do good works. There's stuff to do. There's commandments to follow. Jesus says, if you are my disciple, you will do what I command. But I want to make very sure, I'm very clear on this this morning with everyone. I do not ever want it to be mistaken that I am about doing to earn. Never. I do because I get to. And like Tanner did last week, he said a line he had last week where we are fueled to what we do. Grace fuels what we do. Without God's grace, we don't do this good work that God's called us to. <clears throat> Before we were created, we were called for good works. We were called to these things, Paul says. And James says the same thing. But it is doing in light of what's been done, not doing to earn anything. So as we go through this this morning, I want to make sure I'm very clear on that. And if you're ever wondering, James is very good about not making suggestions. So what we're going to learn this morning is not a suggestion. There are 50 plus imperatives or commands in the book of James. 50 commands that James says, do this, don't do that. So we have commands that we got to follow. So if you ever wonder what you should be doing or not doing as a Christian, the book of James is very practical. It's a very great place to go study. Okay, here's what I do. When, I, when students come to me and they ask me, he said, <clears throat> anybody really, if they ask, Dan, where should I read my Bible? I always start them in the book of John. I say, read here twice. Read the book of John twice before you move on. Then go into 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and read. Because I want them to find out who Jesus is, how not, what we're not supposed to sin, what the love of Christ looks like. And then I take them and I put them in the book of James. We don't start in James. We start in the other areas to find out who Jesus is and, and why we do what we do. <clears throat> James shows us what we should be doing. But when you look at the book of James, there's all kinds of imperatives there. But he's writing this to the 12 tribes of Israel that are scattered throughout the land of Palestine. you got to remember, this is 49 AD, 50 AD, just after, not long after Christ had been crucified. And they hated Jesus. See, the, these, these, Christian, these Jewish Christians were stuck. The Gentiles hated them. The Romans couldn't stand them. <clears throat> but their own people, the Jews, turned on them because they followed Jesus, which left them kind of outcasts, if you will. Anybody else besides me feel like an outcast in America lately? <laughs> you know what I mean? So we can relate to what's going on here in this idea of what's happening in this book. What happens also is then, since they're outcasts in this, they're very poor and they're very downtrodden and they're very abandoned. So James is coming at this from that idea, the context of what we're looking at. 
They were oppressed. But the major problem that you see in this letter that James wrote to the churches is that they were not walking what they said they should. They were not walking what they were confessing. They were not living out what they were confessing. They were having huge issues with how they spoke to one another and their tongue. Because think about it. Anybody else in this room got that going on this, this time of the year? With everything going on in our country, it's really hard to bite our tongue, isn't it? Your tongue should be bleeding right now because we should be chewing it off before everybody because we got lots of opinions and lots of things going on in this world, right? Everybody thinks this, everybody thinks that. I've got an opinion about this. It's God's opinion we need to stay with, and that's what James is reminding everybody. And on top of that, what happened is they're very worldly. Worldliness was coming into the church and becoming a big issue for these people at this time. So when you look at this, here's a question I would ask you this morning. Does your talk line up with your walk? This is a time of reflection. I like preaching this time of the year because it makes us pause and reflect back on who we are and what we've done this last year and who I want to be going forward. That's the greatest thing about this time of the year. I'm not a New Year's resolution guy. You guys know that by now. But I am a guy who wants to stop and reflect on what's going on. All of these problems in the church had a common theme, spiritual immaturity. That was the cause of what was going on here. Simply put, they just weren't willing to grow up in their faith. They were not willing to grow up in the faith that they confessed. <clears throat> and as you sit this morning, I do want to challenge you with this a little bit, kindly and with love in my heart. But I want to lay this at your feet, and I want you to ask yourself, where am I at? Am I growing? Am I spiritually mature, or am I not? And am I, am I walking out what I'm confessing? So as we look at this, I want to look at James chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 19 through 27, but I'm going to focus in on 26 and 27 at the end. So we're, I'm going to read out of the NLT this morning is where I'm reading. So James 1, 19 says this. Understand this, my brothers and sisters. You, might be, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. <clears throat> Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all filth and evil in your lives. The humbly and humbly accept the word of God that is planted in your hearts. For it has been the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and do not obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror, and you see yourself and walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for your doing. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongues, you are fooling yourselves, and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. What James is basically saying here, there's areas in our life where we can demonstrate, this is not an exhaustive list, obviously, but there's area in our, areas of our life where James says we can live out our faith. Where others are watching. Are they, they're watching us, aren't they? Especially in today's world, you guys. They're watching Christians. So there's three things I want to look at this morning as we break this down. First, your spiritual conversation. Second, your spiritual compassion. Third, your spiritual character. The first thing I want to look at is your spiritual conversation. It says in verse 26, If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are only fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. This word religion is only used a few times in scripture. But the one place as I was studying this, the one place that stood out to me, and I'm really glad we sang this song this morning, is in Colossians 2.18. This is one place where the word religion 
is translated worship. There's all sorts of different religious schisms in the world. Christianity, Buddhism, whatever it is. Religion is just really serving God, following and serving God. But in Colossians 2.18, it gives this idea of worshiping. This religion is worship. Think about this for a second. And, and again, God's been talking to me a lot about this over the last, couple, over the last week. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you. Really? Think about your week. Not, not, not critically. I'm not being critical of you, but think about your week. Everybody has that breath in our lungs, and we know our next breath is not promised. That's been fairly, made fairly obvious here the last little bit. How have you been using that breath? What have you been doing with it? That's what God's been asking me. Dan, what are you doing with it? Because that is an idea of we worship the Lord with our words. He's given us the ability to speak. A little baby, when you hold a little baby in your arms and you look at them and you're trying to get them to say their first word, is it edifying or is it evil? It's a dumb question, isn't it? Say mama, say dada. Remember when the first time you heard him speak? Just the, the amazement of what it looked like. You see, that's what God looks at you like, and that's what God looks at me like. He's given us a gift. What are we doing with it? Are we edifying? Or are we tearing down? What are we doing with that gift that he's given us? James says this, your religion is worthless if it doesn't produce fruit. If it doesn't produce fruit, simply put this, if your faith doesn't change the way you speak, there's something wrong with you, and you're deceiving yourself. I'm not saying that. James is saying that. And we've got to be more careful today than ever to make sure that we're speaking truth. I'm not talking about tiptoe through the tulips here. I'm talking about speaking truth, but doing it in a way that honors God. James' point is this. An uncontrolled tongue reveals an issue. An uncontrolled tongue, tongue reveals a problem. You know what that problem is? Right here. It reveals what's in our heart. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 12. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of what's the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings out evil things out of the evil stored up in him. So if you ever want to know how to control your tongue, you've got to look at what you're taking in. I love politics. A lot. But God got a hold of me recently, and he says, Dan, you stay focused on what I want you to stay focused on. We don't walk around naive, and I'm going to talk about that towards the end of the service. But we do have to stay informed, but our eyes are supposed to be fixed on the author and finisher of our faith. And if we, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we will unintentionally almost store things good in our heart. We won't store up evil in our heart because you've got to remember what comes out of here starts here. This is the wellspring of life. This is where it all begins. What are you storing up in your heart? James commits most of chapter three to this topic. This is how important this is to him. Proverbs 18.21 says the, the tongue has the power of life or death. It doesn't say the tongue has the power of life, death, and stuff that doesn't really matter. It doesn't say that. It says the tongue has the power of life and death and those that love it will eat of its fruit. You realize that? When you're speaking to your spouses and when you're speaking to your family members and parents when you're speaking to your kids, I'm not saying don't discipline them. You make sure you're clear on what I'm hearing. But there is a way to do this that's edifying. 
when we're talking to one another, be truthful, be honest, but there is the power of life and death in the tongue. Psalms 34, 12, and 13 says this, whoever, whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, I'm assuming that would be us. I'm gonna read this again. Now think about this. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, amen? That's us, yes? Watch. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. So if you want to live a life that's good in many days, keep your tongue from evil and not tell a bunch of lies. When we're lying and we're being speaking evil, we're being disobedient to God. It says here in Matthew 12, 36 and 37, it says this, for by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. So we're either going to be acquitted by what we use in our words or we're going to be condemned by our words. We're going to have an account for every careless, useless, harmful word that we speak. God's going to have a chat with me about that when I get to heaven. And I really, I really honestly believe Scripture is true. And I really believe the witness of the Spirit will tell us whether we're on or off on this mark. And I'm not talking, I want to be real careful too, I'm not talking about vulgar language. Not just vulgar language. I think vulgar language is lazy if you want to know the truth. But I'm talking about things like this thoughtlessness, unprofitable, hurtful, insulting, abusive, offensive conversation. That's why I use that. I'm not talking just about a word. I'm talking about a conversation. And our conversations come from the temperament of my heart. They come from the aroma of what I've got going on in my life. Are my conversations good? Are they bad? Are they offensive? Here's, I think, a good scripture. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. You ready? Say it again. Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, Dan, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. According to their needs means this in my mind. You may need something different than you do, and you may need something different than you do, but don't we all need this word? See, the circumstance and the situation behind this Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but let it be edifying. Let it build people up according to what they need. And we know that by relationships. Remember this now. I love this part. James is writing this to the church. He's not writing this to lost people. He's writing this to us. This pierces my heart because I'm like, Dan, I've done a lot of self-reflection over this, so we need to do this. Listen, I'm going to confess something you already know, okay? I have stood on this stage. My English is horrible. I have terrible English, and I know it. I've mispronounced words while preaching. That's not too embarrassing, is it? But I would rather be known as a man with bad English, but a man who controls his tongue before God, a man who is storing up good things in his heart before God. Am I always going to get my English right? Most of the time, no. See, saw, went, when, your, your. I don't know, but I do know God. Now, do I work on that? Absolutely. I want to be better at communicating God's word. But listen, I don't want to be known as a man when I die on my tombstone said he had really good English. (laughs) Do you? I'd rather have horrible English. Be known as a man who controlled his tongue, whose religion was not in vain, whose religion was not false, but he walked with God and he was a man who loved him with all of his heart. That's what I want written on my tombstone. I work on my, if you're young in this room, listen to me. If you're young in this room, get to know your English. Know English very well. You're going to use it for the rest of your life. And you want to be good at it. Two things, English and math. There you go. I'm horrible at both. But I love God. So hopefully that counts. Here's a good place to start if you're having trouble with this, by the way. It says in Psalm 141.3, set a guard over my mouth. 
Lord, and keep watch over the doors of, over the door of my lips. Set a guard over my heart. This is a good place to start. Lord, I'm failing at this horribly bad. I'm not doing well at this. Please, please, please let this be a confession for you. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Because if I'm doing that, I'm storing up good in my heart, good will come out to his glory. We, we, and I want to refer back for a second to earlier in this, and this is why I read this. In verse 19 of this, of this, it says this, and I think this is a good thing to do also. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. See much of that in today's world? You must all be, remember this is to the church, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. You having trouble at home in your family? Boy, this is good advice. James gives us something I think is very critical here. So when you don't know what to do, have God put a guard over your lips and be, be quick to listen, you guys. Slow to speak and slow to get angry. Then we, will have a, then we will have a religion, as James says, that is not worthless, that is good. Conversion's gotta mean something, doesn't it? Doing everything we do in the light of what we, what's been done, conversion's gotta make a difference in our lives, you guys. If it's not, beg God to make a difference in your heart. You may be saved and love God, but you're fighting with this. That's because God wants to do a deeper work in your heart. He doesn't want you to be like this. He doesn't want you to do this. And the other thing that we lean into now, we see James shift gears here just a little bit. A changed life doesn't do anything unless it serves. It doesn't count for much unless we're serving one another. And again, remember, he's writing this to the church. So at the end of this, I would ask you guys, I would, I would lay this at your feet. What kind of religion do you have? According to what James says here in his word, is your religion after hearing what James says about the tongue, is it worthless or is it edifying? That's a question there, because the second point is this, your spiritual compassion. It says in verse 27a, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means visiting and caring for orphans and widows in their distress. I use this, your spiritual compassion. I want to give you the definition of compassion. It says a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for one another who, for one, for, I, I start over again, a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. I feel bad for you. Have a nice day. Or do you feel bad with a strong desire from God to alleviate the suffering? That's when you look at this because James opens this up with this. His, he singles out two groups here, orphans and widows. He singles these two out because they need help. And not only that, but he brings them to their attention. And then he says they are in great distress because they were forgotten and alone. I'm going to be very careful not to have a fit and fall in it right now. Because when I think about that idea of being forgotten and alone, think about our senior homes. Think about all those that have been isolated since probably March and who are alone. Pray and do what you can. And when we find out we do what we can, we, we lean in and we go, what can we do? What do we do about this? This idea of all of our senior citizens that are in homes, we can't even see them. You see, what James and the church was going through so long ago is still so relevant today, isn't it? That's why all this stuff is so important, you guys, because we've gotta be willing to go step into it. We have one of the most amazing churches on the planet, in my opinion. 
but everybody needs to go do something for the Lord in regards to these people. We gotta go help. We gotta have a compassion to go do this because James says this is a religion that is approved by God. You wanna know that you're in right standing with God? Go do stuff. This is where James is making it very clear that you're either right or not right with God. You're either, your religion, religion is either vain and worthless or it's productive. In other words, be willing to care for those who can't care for themselves. That's really what this is saying here. Care for those who can't care for themselves. Care for those that when you do something for them, there's no way they can repay you. There's no way they can give back to you what you've done. But that comes along with storing up treasures in heaven. But that comes along with honoring God and doing things that, that, that bring him glory. This is not limited to just orphans and widows in today's world. The elderly, the unborn, sick, dying, homelessness, dis disabled, victims of sex trafficking, prisoners, refuges, refugees, and all the list goes on and on. So it's a wider birth today of what we're talking about. So that idea of doing things for people that can't do for themselves, that's what we as the church, that's what the church did back then, and that's still what we're supposed to be doing today. We gotta make sure we're doing this. Why? <clears throat> Here's why. In Matthew, I think it's in Matthew, it says this. For I, when I, was hung, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. This is Jesus. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you visited me. And the king replied, truly I will tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. Another one is this in um, 1 John three sixteen. This is how we know what love is. We want to be known as from love for, as Christians, yes? Truth, standing up for things, but you cannot take love out of that. It's grace and truth both. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity or compassion, remember that compassion on them, how can the love of God be in that person? I can see your faith. How can the love of God be in that person if they're not doing this? I can see your faith. Dear children, let us not, remember, this is us. He's talking to us. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech only, but with actions and in truth. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Words are no substitute for deeds. Do everything you do in word and deed to the glory of God. That's what we're called to do. That's what I want to encourage you to do this morning. That's what we're supposed to be all about as the Christian church. The orphans and widows, the reason James brings this out, by the way, is because they were very poor in that day. They were the, the poorest in the communities. Because, see, an, a widow, if a widow, obviously she's a widow, she's lost her husband, but the, the inheritance wouldn't go to her. It would go to the oldest son. Remember the story of the widow's might in Scripture? When Jesus is in the temple and he's sitting there with his disciples and he's talking about, now watch, everybody comes in and they're giving out of their abundance. Ringing the, ringing the, clanging the jar, making things, look at me, look what I gave, I got a lot of money, look what I gave, and Jesus says, look at this little, this young widow, this widow that comes into the room, she walks up, and I can just see this picture in my, in my mind, she walks up with her two copper coins, she's got her head down, because she's ashamed, she doesn't have much, and she just lays what she has in that tray, two copper coins, the widow's might, and Jesus says, see, that's what it's like. That's someone given out of their poverty. So if you don't have abundance in your life, don't use that as an excuse not to give, you guys. Use that as an excuse to give of what you have. You give out of your poverty. 
and God will bless you in ways that will blow your mind. But I think that, that way that he blows our mind the most is at peace, like Tanner talked about this morning, just knowing we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, being good stewards of what God has given us. So they were really down and out. They were, they were the responsibility of the church, and this is where James lays it out that the rubber meets the road here, in my opinion, because James lays it out this way. You go back to verse 22, James focuses on this idea of being doers, not just hearers. He says, don't just listen to God's word, but do what it says. If you don't, you're deceiving yourself. You look at Isaiah 6, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Isaiah saw the Lord. Watch the pattern now. He saw the Lord. (laughs) Then what did he see next? His wretched self. He saw him. But then what did he see after that? Who will go, Lord? Send me. Then he saw the people he would minister to. So why should we do our devotions in the morning? Because we're going to go out every day into a battlefield where people are in need and they're hurting and we're going to want to know that we're giving to those that God would like us to give to. Yes? We want to know in our hearts, right? So when we sit in our devotional time, we see the Lord and then the Lord reveals me, doesn't he, to me in our, in our quiet time. And then when I go out, I see the people that I serve and I minister to as a Christian. That's a pattern. That's another reason why we have to do our devotions. And why do we do that? Because we do it to God's glory. There is a great deal of pure and genuine religion being done before men. Catch the sarcasm in that. That's legalism that Tanner talked about last week. And I will tell you just on Tanner's behalf, I've never seen a more obedient young man to God doing everything he does in light of what's been done. Tanner loves God and he acts like it and he knows why he does what he does. So legalism is a lot of pure and genuine religion according to me that I do before other people. God says pure and genuine religion is this. Control your tongue and watch out for orphans and widows. That's genuine, pure and genuine religion. And then James right now adds something else into this. So it's not only about practical service. It's about inner purity. It's about personal purity that James talks about next. That's the third point is your spiritual character. In James 27, one, chapter 1, 27b, it says this, short sentence to finish up the scripture, and refusing to let the world corrupt you. That idea of refusing means I got something to do with it, don't I? Refusing to let the world corrupt you. To do this, to maintain this spiritual character that we need, we need to be completely separate from the world, you guys. We need to be completely aside from what's going on around us. Living in it, to talk about in a minute. But corruption begins like this. Corruption begins with friendship with the world. And a world is a society apart from God. But I become friends with that world. I stick my toe in there just a little bit too much. I dabble in it some. And then all of a sudden what I do is I fall in love with the world. And if, the, if I'm in love with the world, there's no, God's not in me according to what John says. And then when I fall in love with the world, then the world starts to do what to me? According to Romans 12, 2. It starts to conform me. I'm not transformed any longer by the world, but I'm conformed by the pressures of this world because it just started as a friendship. I didn't, I was just dabbling. I wasn't, I loved God. I wasn't nothing wrong with me. I wasn't corrupt. But then all of a sudden, that friendship turns into a little bit of love. And the next thing you know, I'm farther down this path. And then all of a sudden I get far enough away from the cross and I'm not even a lost my salvation. I'm not talking about that yet. But what I am talking about is making the decision when you're standing at the Y on the road and you have decisions to make in front of you, I'm gonna go the way of the cross or the way of the world. 
and I just step on that path the way of the world. It's just friendship. Then I love, and then I'm being conformed by the world, and then I will be condemned with the world. There's a pattern to this, you guys, that we gotta pay awful close attention to so we can refuse to let the world corrupt us. A great example of this is Lot. You look in the Old Testament at, the, <clears throat> at Lot as a person. Lot, it says, pitched his tent toward Sodom. Just toward it. So I could see it all the time. And then he moved his tent into Sodom. And when he moved his tent into Sodom, Sodom moved into him. See the pattern? Refuse to let the world corrupt you. And Lot lost everything. He told his kids, you guys. Imagine this as adults telling your kids, you need to knock it off because otherwise you're going to get in trouble with God. His kids didn't even believe him anymore. His family laughed at him and said, you're nuts, old man. Lot lost everything when Sodom was destroyed. Pitched his tent toward it, moved in it, it moved into him, and he was destroyed. Everything around him, he lost everything. I can't imagine looking at my children, and because I've been a hypocrite, looking at them and trying to talk to them about the things of God, and they look at me like, they look at me anyway like that, but they look at me like, Dad, you're nuts. My kids think I'm nuts, and I'm okay with that. I'm nuts for God, and they know it. But they know one thing about Dad. Sodom hasn't moved into him. We've got to remember, pure and genuine religion where we will refuse to be corrupted by the world, you guys. Refuse means it's your choice. It's your choice. Another example I want to pull out of the Old Testament in this is Daniel. I want to look at a positive example of this. I've been talking a lot about Daniel lately because you look at what happened with Daniel being excited into Babylon. God left them there and told him, told the Israelites he was going to leave them there for 70 years you guys are stuck here for seven years and then that's have you feel like you're being exiled? I don't know, but maybe I'm the only believer in the world that feels like this makes a lot of sense to me right now. The Israelites were disobedient to God and God said, fine, I'm finally sick and tired of you, so I'm gonna turn you over to Nebuchadnezzar and he's gonna take you back to Babylon and you're gonna live there for 70 years. You know why? Because you've been disobedient. Do you think all the Israelites were disobedient? No. There had to be some good, faithful, God-fearing Israelites still within that bunch, but they lived as a whole. You're probably sitting in your chair this morning thinking, I haven't done anything wrong before, God. Why do I got to go through this? It's how things work. Daniel was exiled, and you guys know the story of this. Daniel is a young man. Got brought into the king's palace. He's handsome, good-looking, knowledgeable. He and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But Daniel was challenged. They were going to be fed from the king's table. They changed their name, but they couldn't change their heart. They gave them new names trying to get them to fit into what Babylon, to the world. Don't do that. Don't be like Lot. Be like Daniel. And Daniel said, listen, and catch this, you guys, because, man, it's hard for me to do this. It's pretty tough for me today to be respectful sometimes to people of the world because they're trying to steal everything we know as Americans, aren't they? They're trying to steal everything we know as Christians, aren't they? And we're fighting with this right now, aren't we? But did you notice Daniel's temperament? Daniel didn't say, I'm not eating from the king's table. I don't care what you say. Daniel didn't say that, did he? Daniel said, if it's okay with you, do you mind for 10 days if we just eat our food? Daniel resolved not to eat from the king's table. He didn't resolve in the moment he had to decide. That decision was already made. Daniel resolved not to eat from the king's table. And it turns out that Daniel 
He looked better, was healthier. Everything worked out well for him, but he was respectful with what he did. You can have an opinion and you can stand strong for the truth of God and you can stand strong for what you believe the foundation of this country is and I would tell you to do it, but you do it respectfully. You do it with honoring God. We do it with ways that edify one another by getting across truth. And I think that's a really good way for us to look at this. And you know what else struck me? This is just recently, probably within the last couple of weeks. And I've taught this to, to kids. Daniel resolved not to eat from the king's table. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. You guys know the story. They did all this ahead of time. Daniel, the angel of the Lord, was with Daniel when he was in the lion's den in the dead of night. He was with Daniel. The angel of the Lord was right there with Daniel. He's with us, you guys. God's not gone anywhere. He's with you. Whether it be turning out the way we want it to or not, he's with us. But you know what struck me about this story? is Daniel, the king's table was never removed from Daniel's presence. He could smell it. He could smell the food. He could see the the turkey and the wine and watching everybody around him partying and having a great time, living the life of Riley. Daniel had to be thinking to himself, Lord, what is going on? We're going to be here for 70 years? And God told him within that 70 years, plant gardens, harvest gardens, get married, have children, live here for my glory. You're the reason I'm here. Or you're the reason, you're the reason you're here. Now live for my glory while you're in Babylon. You guys live for God's glory. Don't let the world corrupt you. Don't go weary in your well-doing. Because Daniel, the table was never removed. Daniel served the king. He was not naive to the things that were going on around him. He knew exactly what the world was up to, but he did not let the world corrupt him. Make sense? Be like Daniel. You'll smell the food and you'll see the parties. And you'll see them, they'll think, you look at them and you think they're getting away with everything. And they're not. And you're being built up and edified spiritually. I think this is how we work so we don't allow the world to corrupt us. Refuse to let the world corrupt you. And the last person I want to bring out of this story is Rahab. Pastor Dan and I talked about this a couple of days ago. I, I just, seems like everything's falling apart, doesn't it? Am I the only one? It seems like everything is just coming to ruins. Remember Rahab? Her house was in the wall of Jericho. In the wall. And she was told, if you want salvation, you stay right where you're at. If you leave, you will die. Now picture Rahab for a second. In the wall, and it says they marched around Jericho And they yelled, and they cheered, and they shouted, and they lifted their voices in praise, and the walls came crumbling down. Where was Rahab? Right where she was supposed to be. Right where God told her to stay. You guys, we need to stay put. We can't let the world corrupt us right now. We've got to stay strong as Christians. We've got to control our tongues before God. Help us to go out by God's grace to serve one another, orphans and widows and people that are in need. It's good that the church does it, and I'm so glad that our church gives the way it does so that we can go do that. But when God touches your heart individually, I want you to be like the widow and the widow's might. I don't have it, Lord. I don't know what to do. I, I don't even have the personality to do this, and I don't have the funds to do it. doesn't matter. If he's called you to do it, go do it. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And I don't believe that's just a pastor's role. I believe that's each of us as priests in, in the church, in our families, as pastoring our homes. I believe that makes a difference. And the last thing is we cannot let the world corrupt us, you guys. Stand strong for truth.
hear me right, fight like crazy, but do it like Daniel. Do it respectfully. Do it in the midst of smelling the food and looking at the wine and watching people have success all around you. And you wonder, Lord, what in the world? Be like Daniel. Resolve. Resolve not to eat from the king's table, please. I beg of you, resolve not to eat from the king's table. And I want to back up one more time real quick, and I want to finish with this in just a second, but I want you to be like Rahab. When everything else is falling, around, falling down around you and you feel like the world's just crumbling around you, I want you to stay put. You stay right where God wants you. You listen to God, he'll tell you what to do. And then when he does, we just do it. But you be like Rahab and you put your feet on the rock and you do not move. And you stay put right where you're at. Because I do believe with all my heart, that's the way God wants us to do it. And according to the book of James, that's the best thing that we can do, you guys. So going into 2021, that's my encouragement for you, is to watch your conversations, be compassionate for people. Don't let the world impact you that way and do, you refuse to let the world corrupt you. You resolve, you resolve not to eat from the king's table, no matter what. And you be like Rahab and you stay put right, you stand on that rock that is Jesus Christ this year, amen? Because that's how we know we will make it safely home to heaven's shores. Tanner, if you'd come up and pray for us, I would appreciate that, and then we'll close the service.